0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to this service for the turning of the year. It's really brilliant to see you all, and we've got so many visitors. It's brilliant um, to be able to say welcome to you all. Um, It's lovely to have Stephen and Victoria with us um, visiting today. That's fantastic to have you back. It's lovely to see you, Mary. It's great to have Alison's grandchildren. I've just met somebody called Hilary. Is that right? No? Yes. (laughs) And we've got Esme's family with us, and who have I missed? I've probably missed someone and I apologise, but it's lovely to have you all with us this morning. As you know, Katrina's away this week having a a good rest, I hope, and so we're really delighted to welcome, as our guest preacher, Esme McFarlane, who was with us about a year ago, I think, Um, and leading our worship
1: this morning is Brian. God has joined our living. The gift of the Christ child is among us. Surprise us again, O Lord, with the joy of your birthing of love amongst us. Break past the locked doors and the closed rooms of our hearts with the cries of the Christ child. Call us from afar that we may search diligently for your word made flesh. God of the Incarnation, if we have forgotten what it means to welcome the Christ child in the face of so many failures of love and goodwill, forgive us. If we have failed to hear, see and hear the signs and the sounds of your word being made flesh in the world today, forgive us. If, in our apathy or our diversion by things that we consider to be more important, We have missed opportunities to be your signs of incarnation in our relationships, our neighbourhood, our city, or our nation. Forgive us. We hear these words of assurance. Because God loves us, There will be light again. In our lives, God will come, offering a baby's hand to greet us. Thanks be to God. Amen.
0: Let's read the passage for this morning together. It's Luke chapter 2 starting at verse 41. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. Amen. So, it lovely to be back with you again, thank you very much for having me back. It's always a pleasure to come and to share something of God's words with God's people. So thank you for having me. Let's pray before we start. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are God and you are here right now. We thank you that you love us enough that you came into this world and that you want to communicate with us through your words. We thank you for the Bible and we thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will be in each one of our hearts to help us to hear from you and to understand what you have to say and to go and put it into practice. So we ask, Lord, that you would be with us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you're anything like me, but personally, eh, I find that as I get older, I live increasingly for the weekend. It seems to be that as soon as Monday morning starts, I'm already in the countdown for Friday afternoon when I manage to get out of work again. And the busyness of life just seems to take over, and so I'm lurching from one weekend to the next. Or maybe it's more holidays for you. I'm counting down holidays, so... The minute I come back from one holiday, I need to have the next holiday to start counting down for that one. And it's quite a tough time if I don't have another holiday booked, so that when I come back, I've got nothing to count down for. And maybe you find that when it comes to Christmas as well, that everybody's so busy in the lead-up to Christmas, and we're desperate to get things in order there's so many things happening that you lurch from one event to the next event and maybe you feel like well that's christmas out the way now i need to focus on the next thing whether that's what you're doing for Hogmanay or whether it's going back to work or whatever it is there's always something that you're going to skip forward and look forward to and i think sometimes in a spiritual sense we can do that as well christmas is over We've had this big build-up for four weeks of Advent, looking forward to the arrival of Jesus. And we've had the birth, we've had the manger, we've had the shepherds and the wise men and all of that, and now it's over. And so in our minds, it's easy to fast-forward 30 years to Jesus' ministry here on earth and ultimately to his death on the cross and his resurrection. To fast forward all of that time, and it seems to make sense to do that because that's what the Gospels spend most of their time focusing on. Jesus' ministry on earth from the age of 30 until his death and resurrection. But Luke doesn't do that. He doesn't just speed on from baby Jesus and go straight to the 30-year-old Jesus who walked on this earth. He pauses and he gives us a brief look. At 12-year-old Jesus growing up. And so when I was reflecting on this passage in preparation for this morning, I was asking myself, why? Why is it that Luke pauses like this? Why does he bother to tell us about Jesus as an adolescent? Why doesn't he just skip on to the nitty-gritty of what Jesus came to do? Why does he bother to spend this time here? What does this passage mean? tell us about God? Why is it that he thinks this is important? Well, maybe it's because this snapshot of Jesus' childhood gives us an opportunity to learn something critical about who Jesus is and what his purpose on earth actually was. Maybe by seeing God incarnate as a 12-year-old boy We grasp something more about the enormity of what God has done for us than if we just jump straight on to the climax of Jesus' earthly life. We can see from the beginning of chapter 1 in Luke that his intention in writing his book is to give us an orderly historical account of Jesus so that we can be certain of what we have been taught. His whole book seems to centre on the unfolding of God's plan. And so just as even Mary and Joseph gradually get to know who Jesus really is, so Luke is gradually revealing to us who Jesus really is. And just as Mary and Joseph in this passage make a desperate search for Jesus until they find him, I believe Luke is telling us too that we too need to find Jesus. We need to find Jesus. It's very possible that Luke gets his account of this story directly from Mary herself, who we're told in verse 51 treasured all of these things up in her heart. And if that's the case, Mary must have considered that this story was significant enough in her lifetime with Jesus to share with Luke. It seems that this wasn't just one of those home alone movie scenarios where the parents forget about the child and they disappear off and then they have a frantic search and they find him again. It's not just as simple as all that it seems that Mary and Joseph didn't just physically find their son, but in some way I think their eyes were opened just a little bit more to actually who Jesus really is. And although in verse 50 we're told that they didn't actually understand everything that he was saying to them, maybe as Mary looks back on all that has gone on in her life, she recognises that this is a significant point in her getting to know Jesus. And maybe God is using this moment to share with us something of who Jesus really is, so that we also will find Jesus. I think this passage tells us three critical things about Jesus. First of all, it tells us something of who Jesus is, so he is fully God and fully human. Secondly, it tells us something of what Jesus' purpose on earth was all about. We see that his first priority was to do the work of God the Father. And thirdly, it tells us that Jesus provokes a response. We need to find Jesus, who he is, what his purpose is all about, and then how we will respond to that. So firstly, Luke tells us in this passage something about who Jesus is. Jesus is fully God and fully human. And I think Jesus' humanity comes across just in the normality of the situation of a 12-year-old boy going on a trip with his parents. And the fact that when his parents lose him, they make a frantic search for him because he's not really old enough to look after himself yet. He's human. We see his humanity in the fact that in verse 46, Jesus listens to the teachers at the temple and he asks them questions. He's learning from them. And in verse 51, he is obedient to his parents. And in verse 52, he grows up in wisdom and in stature. Jesus is a human growing up just like you and me. And yet in this passage, I think we also see something of his deity. In verse 47, it appears that although it was Jesus that was doing the listening and Jesus that was asking the questions in the temple... It is Jesus' understanding and Jesus' answers that amaze people. This is no ordinary 12 year old. And then, most clearly, we see Jesus as God in this passage by his own words in verse 49, where he says to his parents, Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? My father. Even as a 12-year-old, Jesus knows that God is his father and that he is God's son. Jesus is fully God and fully human. And that is an incredible reality. I think we so quickly can fast forward straight on to Jesus' sacrifice of dying on the cross that we can sometimes lose sight of the wonder that before Jesus even went to the cross, he had already sacrificed so much in leaving behind the joy and the comfort of heaven, of setting aside his rights as the son of God to become one of us. The God who made the whole universe became a man, and not just a strong, healthy, rich man at the peak of his life, but as a helpless baby, dependent on and obedient to the earthly parents that he had made. The God of the universe had to learn to walk and to talk and to read And to write, he had to ask questions in this passage of the religious teachers in the temple that he had created. He had to grow up, it says, physically and emotionally and spiritually. This is how much God loves us. Luke is almost saying, let's pause and be amazed at the fact that the God of the universe became a 12-year-old boy growing up just like you and me. Through his humanity, Jesus identifies with us. He knows what life is like because he's lived it. And through his deity, he can represent us before his father, a holy and a perfect God. He is fully God and fully human. And Luke is saying, just like Mary and Joseph need to find Jesus and understand who he really is, so do we. He didn't just become God at the start of his ministry or become God when he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. He has always been special right from the start. And even as a 12-year-old boy, he was fully God and fully human. And this is just a glimpse of 12-year-old Jesus to prove it. The theologian Wayne Grudem describes the incarnation like this. And I think it was quite a helpful quote, although it's quite meaty. And it says this. It is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection. And more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. Luke is saying this is God, and he was a 12-year-old boy And he grew up and he had to learn in the way that we do because he is fully human and fully God. And he loves us that much that he would do that for us. We need to find Jesus. And the first thing that this passage tells us is something about who Jesus really is, that he is fully God and he is fully human. But secondly, I think this passage tells us something of Jesus' purpose here on earth. And we find that out in verse 49. These are the earliest recorded words that Jesus spoke. And he's saying them to Mary and Joseph. He's saying, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Or another translation puts it like this. I must be about my father's business. Jesus is in no doubt of his purpose. He uses this phrase, I had to, I had to, I must be about my father's business, I had to do this. And this is a phrase that crops up several times in Luke where Jesus is expressing what his purpose is and how he has to fulfill that. The son of man has to die, the son of man has to suffer. It's the same phrase that he's using. He is definite about his purpose. He is on a mission and he is sure about it. At work, I've got lots of to-do lists and things that need to get done, and there's always a priority for what's more important than something else. And in order to help me keep organized, I set up reminders on my uh, Outlook computer system so that it pops up and tells me that I need to do something. But the problem is that there's a function on that reminder that allows you to say, just remind me later. Remind me in a few hours, or remind me in a few days, or maybe even remind me in two weeks. And so in two weeks' time, it'll pop up again, and it'll say, you still need to do this. And I'll have to decide, well, actually, it's not quite as important as the ten other things that I've got to do, so you can remind me later. And ultimately, it'll be many weeks down the line, and it'll say, this is 15 weeks overdue. And you'll realize that maybe you have to do it. But this is not the kind of to-do list that Jesus has. It's not something that he thinks he can put off. It's not something that he can leave till later. He has come to earth with one purpose. And he is resolute about that purpose. It won't slip down his to-do list. And it won't be something that he has to have a reminder about even. Because he is certain that he has to be in his father's house about his father's business. And even at the age of 12... Jesus knows that. Jesus' first priority is the work of God the Father. That is why he came, to do the will of God the Father, to bring glory to him, and ultimately to do that by reconciling us with God. That's his purpose and his first priority, God the Father. And so I guess the challenge for us is that if we are to follow Jesus' example, then our first priority should be God the Father too. Our first priority should be going about the Father's business. It's not something that we should just let slip down our to-do list. It's not something that we can just hit snooze on for a while. If it is Jesus' first priority, then it should be ours as well. And I know that that's a really easy thing to say and a much harder thing to put into practice. But practically that means that when we make decisions, whether that be how we spend our money or or what we're going to do with our time or what we're going to say or not say, then in each of these decisions we need to be asking ourselves, is this something that pleases God the Father? Are we going about the Father's business as we do this or are we not? Or maybe it's when you're chatting with someone, a colleague or a neighbour, and the conversation seems to turn so that there's an opportunity to talk to them about your faith and about Jesus. And the choice is there for us. Will we go about the Father's business and tell them about Jesus so that they can find Jesus too? Or will we just squirm and feel a bit uncomfortable and try and change the subject to more comfortable territory? This passage tells us that Jesus was clear that his first priority was God the Father. And Jesus ultimately fulfilled that purpose through his death and resurrection. But I think this passage also reminds us that no time with God is wasted time. The 12-year-old Jesus is learning and listening and growing in wisdom and understanding, all in preparation for that ultimate point where he will bear the weight of the sin of the entire world on his shoulders. He's getting to know the scriptures for himself, not relying on the devout religious family that he has come from. He is growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So that at the right time he will be ready to fulfill his earthly purpose. And we don't hear much about Jesus' earthly life in the Bible. But I think here Luke is assuring us that it all counted for God. So maybe you need to be encouraged this morning. Maybe sometimes you feel a bit aimless in what you're doing. Or you feel like you've not yet fulfilled your calling or your purpose. Or maybe every day just feels quite humdrum and routine. But if you are listening to God, if you are trying to learn from him, and if you are trying to live every day with him, then it is not wasted time with God. He is preparing you ultimately for the day when you will meet him face to face and be like him. Because every day that we live here is a preparation where we are being made more like Jesus. Because he wants you to mature in Christ. He wants you to grow in wisdom and stature and in favour with God. So be encouraged and follow Jesus' example. This passage reminds us that we need to find Jesus. It tells us firstly something about who he is, that he is fully God and fully human. It tells us, secondly, something about what his purpose here on earth was, that his first priority was the work of God the Father. But lastly, it tells us something about the fact that Jesus provokes a response. Without Jesus, Mary and Joseph are anxious until they find him. Everyone who hears Jesus' understanding and his answers in verse 47, are amazed. And when his parents finally do see him, in verse 48, it says they are astonished. I wonder if your reaction to Jesus is amazement and astonishment. Or maybe does it all feel a bit old hat and familiar? The passage doesn't record anyone having a sort of mediocre, apathetic reaction to Jesus. They were amazed and they were astonished. Jesus doesn't really leave us an option of giving him a half-hearted response. It's all or it's nothing. He provokes a response. One of the things at Christmas time that always seems to provoke a response over Christmas dinner chat is, are you a Brussels Sprouts fan or are you not a Brussels Sprouts fan? And I don't think I've ever met anyone who's kind of easy-ozy about Brussels Sprouts. It seems that you either love them or you hate them. And everyone's got an opinion on it. They think one way or the other, will you be having them or will you not be having them? Do we ever have them or have we given up altogether because no one likes them? There's always a response to the Brussels Sprouts. And in a much bigger way than obviously Brussels Sprouts, Jesus provokes a response. It's not something that you sit on the fence about. He provokes a response. And if you really find Jesus, it's hard to imagine any other response than amazement and astonishment. How else could you respond to the one who is fully God and fully human? who came to this earth to reconcile us to God. But verse 50 tells us that although Mary and Joseph were astonished, they also didn't really understand what he was talking about. And I guess sometimes I feel like maybe Mary and Joseph get a bit of a raw deal in this story, and you can kind of sympathize with them. They've taken their son to Jerusalem, they're doing their duty, they're following all the customs of the law, he goes missing and they're frantic with worry for three days as they search for their son they don't know if he's alive or dead or where he is and then when they finally do find him he seems to be wiser and know much more than all of the religious teachers in the temple and he seems totally unfazed by their distress so you can understand why it's difficult for them to get their heads round what their son is telling them even although they were the ones who were visited by the angels, even although they were the ones who heard the prophecies, who saw the shepherds and the wise men come to worship their baby child, they still didn't understand yet. And I think it is possible for you and for me to know the story of Jesus, to have heard all the prophecies and to have come to church and yet not understand who he really is. It's possible to have become so familiar with the Christmas story that we cease to be astonished that the God of the whole universe became a baby and then grew up in this world for you and for me. It's possible to have a relationship with Jesus and to be a Christian and yet have lost that amazement at who Jesus is and what he has done. That he was a 12-year-old growing up in an ordinary place just like you and me, going about his father's business so that you and me can become God's children too. And maybe if that's you this morning, maybe if you don't fully understand who Jesus is yet because you've not found him. Or maybe that amazement and that astonishment at who Jesus is and what he has done for you has somehow just dwindled a bit, then let me encourage you this morning to find Jesus again. Let me encourage you to reflect on what this passage tells us about who Jesus is, that he is fully God and yet he is fully human and went through all human experience for you and for me. Let me encourage you to reflect on the purpose of Jesus being on this earth. That his first priority was to do the work of God the Father. And let me encourage you to respond to Jesus with amazement and astonishment. And to follow his example in your life. Jesus didn't come to earth and sacrifice all that he did in doing so so that we could live half-hearted, mediocre Christian lives in response. Luke pauses before fast-forwarding to Jesus' ministry and ultimately his death and resurrection in order to show us the God of the whole universe as a 12-year-old boy. And he challenges us as to what our response will be. He invites us to find this Jesus, to know him, to follow his example and to be amazed and astonished at what he has done for us. And so my prayer would be that we would each be challenged in that way, to respond to Jesus, to understand something about how wonderful it is that the God of the universe came and that he lived and he died. And he went about the Father's business so that one day we can be with him forever and be like him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came to this earth. We thank you that you gave up so much for us because you love us and because you wanted to honour your Father. And we ask that you would help us to respond with amazement this morning as we reflect on who you really are and what you have done. And we ask that through your Holy Spirit you would help us to make God our first priority and to live lives that follow Jesus' example. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: We are reminded again that God has joined our living. So come to this moment of prayer and faith, for all the earth is a dwelling place for God. Come to this moment in hope, for Jesus walks with us through the years. Come to this moment in gentleness, for in the Spirit we have received grace upon grace. Let us pray. This Christmas season, we pray that no powerful government should tax the poor or uproot them. That no unmarried mother should be put away in disgrace. that no door will be shut to those who need to find it open. That shepherds and sheep and all of nature need not be afraid. That barbed wire and angry soldiers may not be found in Bethlehem. That wise men and wise women may appear in Israel-Palestine, in Syria, in Egypt, in Nigeria in the Central African Republic and that children everywhere may be preserved from those who would abuse them. Pray for our own city, for those surviving another day in poverty, in disadvantage, in the uncertainty of asylum seeking, in the fear of what a new year will bring. For those who, despite our society's laws, still experience discrimination of many kinds in relation to gender, to status, to ability or disability, to sexual orientation. For those with addiction, particularly to alcohol or drugs. For those experiencing the breakdown of relationships. For those facing challenges with physical or mental health. For those who seek but cannot yet discern a light in whatever their own darkness is. And in offering these prayers for our city and the wider world, we also pray them for those closest to us, whose needs are perhaps known only to us, our families and friends, and especially for those for whom your gift and our gift of love is needed at this time. We name them in our hearts now. We pray for ourselves, for even as we pray for others, we know that we are called to be your friends, to own our faith in the task of answering these prayers. Give to us all that we need in insight, commitment, in unselfishness and in faithfulness to be part of bringing your light into darkness and making flesh your word. flesh, whose company we seek and whose pattern we seek to follow, be known to us again here this day. As we approach a new year, may we be aware of the light that shines in the darkness and that the darkness can never put it out. May our eyes be opened to the wonder of the daily miracles around us and may our sense of mystery be deepened. May we be blessed with companions on the journey, friends who will listen to us and encourage us with their presence. May we learn to live with what is unsolved in our hearts, daring to face the questions and holding them until one day they find their answers. And may we find the still, quiet place within ourselves where we can know and experience the peace that passes all understanding. And so may the blessing of God, our Creator, our Redeemer and our Sustainer, be upon us and be upon this coming year. Thank you.